As I said, um, it's usually Tuesday morning, but sometimes I break my Monday Sabbath. Forgive me for confessing sin after last week's sermon. And um, start to get into the passage for the next Sunday. Read the lectionary passages, have a look at what they're saying. And I just read them, literally just had read them. And I flicked across to Facebook and Grant Connor, um, now in Cumber, had put up this uh, church notice board. Christian snobbery is the curse of the church. And if you look back at what Neville read, you can see why immediately even the Proverbs passage Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and do not claim a place among the great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. And immediately I was kind of thinking, well, what does that mean? Because the journey from the first reading of the lectionary to here right now is where does that text in Luke or in Proverbs, where does that text meet with 2016? Fitzroy, the community that we worship in, the community that we are missional in. And so my mind started to think about the word that Val has wonderfully brought into most of the songs we've been singing this morning. That word humble and humility, not one that uh, is new to uh, sermons or even weekends away. I remember us, uh, I remember Rose doing something about this in one of our Castlewell and weekends just a few years ago. I bought, um, on recommendation from Amazon, Lisa, Lisa McInerney's new book. Um, it's called Glorious Her- Heresies, and it only arrived yesterday, and I'm slightly concerned about opening it because it says in the front, the um, foul-mouthed and vibrant, and I'm thinking, oh, really? Um, and you might say, well, why would a minister want to be buying a book like that? Well, the Irish Times has called her arguably the most talented writer at work in Ireland today. I wanted to know who that is. And that's what they say on the front of the book. I love those things that you have to do to sell yourself. It says the Irish Times has called her arguably the most talented writer at work in Ireland today. Her mother remains unimpressed. I thought that was the best introduction to a writer I'd ever had. Because it seems to me that maybe in the writing in the front of her book, Lisa McElnerney has decided I'm really not happy sitting at the top table. I'm really not happy being called, even by the Irish Times, the most talented writer at work in Ireland today. So could you just, in that introduction, could you just level the playing field a wee bit and tell them that my mother remains unimpressed? I like that humility. I remember when I was having to write my biogs when Walk On, my book on U2 was doing really well, and you had to say things like, a world expert in U2 who has sold 100,000 copies of a book, who broadcasts on the BBC, not does a wee show on a Sunday night on BBC Radio Ulster, but broadcasts on the BBC. And I remember saying to them, could you just add in a pretty ropey father, an absolutely useless husband, and really struggling with his vacation, but leaning on the grace of God? But they didn't want to put that in because that's not what the world wants. They want us sitting at the top table. Look how important this person is. Look how fantastic this person is. This is the kind of person you want at your conference because this is the person who has done all these things. It is a modern ailment. Celebrity. Some people are celebrities by being celebrities. They don't even win gold medals or get to the top of the charts or uh, 
act in a movie or play on a soccer team. They actually are celebrities and you say, why are they celebrities? And really the only reason they're a celebrity is that they're a celebrity somehow. Because everybody in the culture that we want to live in or we live in wants to be recognized, wants to be important, wants to be famous, wants to be at the top of the top table. And I suppose the readings this week, the one encouragement they bring is, that's not a new thing. Jesus was dealing with a culture and the writer of Proverbs was dealing with a culture and Ezekiel, who we'll quote in a moment or two, was dealing with a culture and those cultures were thousands or hundreds of years apart, so it's nothing new. But if we look at the text and what Jesus is talking about here, there are two things that, that happen in the text. The two things are, number one, when you're invited somewhere, don't assume the place at the top. So you're a guest in the first part of it. But then in the second part of it, you don't become the guest, you become the inviter. What has this almost strange little parable got to say to us, Fitzroy 2016? Let me read it again to you through Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. He went on to tell a story to the guests around the table. Notice how each had tried to elbow, noticing how each had tried to elbow into the place of honour, he said, when someone invites you to dinner, don't take the place of honour. Somebody more important than you might have been invited by the host. Then he'll come and call you in front of everybody. You're in the wrong place. The place of honour belongs to this man. Red-faced, you'll have to make your way to the very last table, the only place left. When you're invited to dinner, go and sit at the last place. Then when the host comes, he may very well say, friend, come on up to the front. That will give the dinner guests something to talk about. What I'm saying is, if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to simply be yourself, you will become more than yourself. Now that's Eugene's sermon, actually, from that passage. It's an exegesis, it's not a translation, it's not even a paraphrase to some level. He's really hammering at home there, isn't he? What I'm saying is if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to simply be yourself, you will become more than yourself. Now if we think about that to one of Stockman's mantras about Genesis, one of my mantras that comes from Daryl um, Johnson from uh, Regent that I learned was that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve stretched to be more than they were. They wanted to be God, so they took of the fruit and became less than they were. That resonates, does it not? If you're content to simply be yourself, you will become more than yourself. Humility. Not putting yourself above others. Walking around with your nose in there sounds like Christian snobbery to me in Eugene's paraphrase. Then he turned to the host, Eugene, paraphrase goes on. The next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbours, the kind of people who will return the favour. Invite some people who never get invited out, the misfits from the wrong side of the tracks. You'll be, and experience, a blessing. They won't be able to return the favour, but the favour will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. And in the midst of that, I couldn't help but see Ed Peterson, not Eugene Peterson, Ed Peterson from Clonard, our brother in Clonard. At the very, one of the very first Four Corners Festival committee meetings, he said, 
I think we should throw a banquet for the homeless. We all thought that was an interesting idea. He said, maybe a hotel, maybe a hotel in Belfast would give us the hotel at a reasonable price and we could bring the homeless from the streets in to have a banquet that the church would fund and Christians would come and serve at the tables. I actually thought it was a bit of a crazy notion. But somebody quickly said, why do it in a hotel? Let's do it in City Hall. And that next year, Ed, I imagine inspired by this very text, had us in City Hall with 80 homeless people from around Belfast and Northern Ireland, with the Lord Mayor at a banquet, served by Christians, funded by Christians, and those homeless people haven't had the ability yet to invite us back. It wasn't the point. It wasn't the point. When we go and sit at a table, be careful where we sit. When we're throwing parties, who do we invite? The selection of the seats, the invitation list, in the shame and honor culture that Jesus was in, these things could be important because where you sat at the table might affect the bartering you did later in the week because the community would see how important you were and where your place was. Think of the public horror of being humiliated in such a place. That could affect all kinds of things happening in public in the week ahead. And in the midst of this parable, Jesus calls into question, as he does again and again and again in the Gospels, this kind of caste system where some people are more important than others. I was immediately, of course, drawn to, but many who will be first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Matthew 19 comes after Jesus has invited the children, and the disciples have said, we don't want the children bothering Jesus. Many who will be first will be last, and many who are last will be first. The rich young ruler is in the same chapter. He thought he was first. He thought he could sit at the, the, the top table. He'd done so many good things. Jesus humiliated him and sort of sent him away to sit at the end of the table. Many who will be first will be last, and many who will be last will be first. Or Matthew 20, after the parable of the workers. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus, in Matthew 19 and 20, is hammering something home here. And we find that he actually uses that same phrase just a chapter before the one Neville read today. Speaking about the the narrow door and how few will find it and how some will think they're getting through the door but actually won't get through the door because Jesus will say, well, you did all that stuff, but I didn't really know who you were. In Luke 13 and 30, not far before today, is reading, indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. And it wasn't just something that Jesus was bringing into his day and time because the Proverbs reading, it seems, is a good exegesis of it, is it not? Don't exalt yourself. Do not claim a place among great men. It's better for someone to say, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before the nobles. Or Ezekiel 20. I mean, there's lots of verses I could have. When you do these commentaries, you just get to the point where you think, I could just read out verse after verse after verse. And so you just, I thought I would pick one from the Proverbs. And I love this one in Ezekiel 21, verse 26. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Take off the turban. Remove the crown. It will not be as it was. The lowly will be exalted. And the exalted will be brought low. 
Jesus is bringing this in for sure, but it's not something new. This is the scriptures from the beginning, coming through into the kingdom that Jesus is ushering in. The heart of this new kingdom will smash the caste system. We will humble ourselves. All will be equal. There will be no pharisaical snobbery. And we will not see ourselves theologically, socially, culturally, or ecclesiastically better than anybody else. We will not see ourselves theologically, culturally, socially, or ecclesiastically better than someone else. Snobbery, Christian snobbery, is the curse of the church. And if I go over those four things, I know I have experienced the snobbery in all those theological, social, cultural, and ecclesiastical ways. But I'm also aware that there's something within my own soul that can be snobbish towards others. There is no place for it in the heart of the new redeemed community. There's no place for it in a community that worships together on a Sunday morning. That's what Sabbath teaching was last Sunday. That Sabbath is the leveler. Now, to be honest with you, I would wish that you would come in and take the front seats. There's nobody can blame a Presbyterian for taking the front seats. The culture has changed significantly in that time. But we need to be asking ourselves, is Sabbath a leveler in Fitzroy? Is Sabbath a leveler? Are we humble? Or are those tinges of snobbery within all of us that cause us not to be as radical and subversive, as inclusive and as grace-centered as this parable claims that the new community of believers should be. During my uh, commentary research for, um, for this morning, I came across a book by David Brooks. Somebody quoted him. The book's called The Road to Character, and it came out last year. I may investigate it in the weeks that are ahead, but I didn't time to investigate it this week. But he talks about the struggle against your own weaknesses. Any weakness you have, any struggles you're having with your own character, humility is the greatest virtue you can have. He says, humility is having an accurate assessment of your own nature and your place in the cosmos. Humility is having an accurate assessment of your own nature and your place in the cosmos. When we were listening to Marilyn Robinson in McCracken just a few months ago, she um, did an interesting exegesis of the Book of Romans in a very, very short time. But she talked about how chapter 1 tells us all these sins that the world are doing. And then chapter 2 kind of talks about all the sins the church is doing. And then chapter 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the message of the gospel. Humility is having an accurate assessment of your own nature. And your place in the cosmos. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we're all created to be like Isaiah as we used in the prayer today, that we are before this God, he is a holy God, we understand who we are within that whole system and recognize the grace that has been poured out to us, onto us, through Jesus. That accurate understanding of who we are will smash the caste system because we will no longer see ourselves as better than anyone else. The humility of understanding our own nature will level the playing field. Brooks goes on. 
Humility reminds you that you're not the center of the universe, but you serve a larger order. Humility reminds you that you're not the center of the universe, but you serve a larger order. Is that not coming through in the reading we started the service with? Jesus, who was the center of the universe, made himself a servant of the larger order. And in following that humility that Paul commands that we do in Philippians chapter 2, we too should see that humility tells us that we are not center of the universe, that God is, and that we are servants of others as we serve God. Pride, on the other hand, David Brooks said, is the central vice. Pride blinds us to our own weaknesses and misleads us into thinking that we are better than we are. That's a constant. That is a constant, certainly, in the life of your minister. We need not to mislead ourselves into thinking that we are better than we are. We need that accurate assessment. I think it was a tweet this week from Eugene Peterson that said, if you're going to have spiritual formation, you need to serious, take yourself seriously. And taking yourself seriously takes seriousness of the kind of nature that you have the redemption that you have in Jesus and that new place that you have in his cosmos under his lordship. Finally, pride deludes us into thinking that we are the authors of our own lives. Pride deludes us into thinking that we are authors of our own lives. Let me try and make a couple of points. It's not even 5 to 12 and I'm making a couple of closing points. I'm having a nosebleed up here. What does this mean? First of all, that understanding of who we are again. In the middle of preparing this, I was drawn to a song of some friends of mine from Scotland. And they have a, a song, they did a whole album called The Human Dress that was based around the liturgy. And one of them is coming around the Lord's table and they used the, uh, the book of common prayer. And the book of common prayer, the phrase they used is, we must not presume. We must not presume. The Book of Common Prayer says, We do not presume to come to your table, merciful Lord, trusting in, your own, in our own goodness, but in all your embracing love and mercy. We must not presume. We must be accurate in why we are who we are. Not because of our own wonderful goodness that we can, because of what we've achieved, sit at the top table. But because that table that we gather around once a month here in Fitzroy tells us that he is the goodness. So we must not presume. First thing we learn, we need to learn to assess ourselves with humility. Then our community. Last week's dog at my heel after the sermon um, was just a phrase in the middle of it from Walter Brueggemann. We were talking last week about how Sabbath um, takes us out of who we are and the importance of our BT address or our job or what we do at university or our PhD or whatever else. And um, in the midst of that, we read about this community that we need uh, here. Let me read it. Such an act of resistance requires enormous intentionality and communal reinforcement amid the barrage of seductive pressures. And I couldn't help but thinking about snobbery being the curse of the church. And what we in Fitzroy would want to build our community around, which should not be snobbery, should be the opposite. And how we as a community have to be reinforcing 
so that the, the communities around us in Belfast would look to us and see the caste system smashed by who we sit beside, who we invite to our meals, who we reach out to, who becomes a part of our community. This has got communal questions to ask our sense of mission, our sense of pastoral care, our sense of worship on a Sunday. Where does humility find its revelation in Fitzroy? And where might still some kind of Christian snobbery cause us to be a curse to mission, which I come to next. As we think about our posture in the Holy Lands, the St. Patrick's Day Festival that we had last year and plan to probably have again, the community carol service that we'll have at Christmas, baby and toddler that probably brings more of the community outside into our church than any other of our organisations. As we think about what Heather's involved in in Mornington, as we think about what we might decide to do and we haven't decided to do anything still panic in Donegal Pass, but even in making the decisions about Donegal Pass, will snobbery be the curse of the church? Or will humility and this parable of Jesus speak into Fitzroy's mission for the year ahead? And bottom line, and straight as a die, it's just simple discipleship. This is how we live. This bizarre humility and inclusivity, which goes against the grain of the entire culture we live in, is just how it is. And so the question we finish with today is, to me and to each of us, how is my discipleship, how is our discipleship, how is your discipleship revealed in the bizarre relationships we have across social, cultural, theological, racial differences. Can be judged right now. I've always wanted to, but I've, I've not done it yet. I might, who knows, maybe later on in my ministry, I used to do this thing in missions where I would dress up as the devil, tail and horns and all, and come in with a cigarette and give you an update on how you were doing. And... Um, I suppose what I'm asking today is if the devil was here and he looked at our friendships and he looked at who was invited to our tables and he looked at who was involved in our fellowship or how they could access our fellowship if they wanted to, how would the devil assess how we're getting on here? Would he be pretty pleased? And that's not a big jump to ask what is the spirit searching us to ask us today? In our personal discipleship, in our discipleship as a congregation, where is this parable so revealed that we are the top of the town? Because we're going against the grain. There's no snobbery there of any sort. That's an incredibly humble people. Did you see who they had at church? Did you see who they had at dinner? Do you see who they have coffee with? Do you see where they hang out? I finish honestly with the story of a friend. I might have told it before. I might have told it last week. I've preached so long now after seven years that I can't remember what I've said and when I, when I said it, etc., etc. It's my friend Rich Mullins. Rich was a very famous Christian singer till he was sadly killed in a car accident. 19 years ago in September. And Rich was one of those guys who literally took this seriously. 
He wrote Awesome God, who American churches sing in abundance. We've sung step by step, and I imagine we'll sing it a wee bit more over the winter time. Um, he was writing for Amy Grant. He was doing very, very well. But he never wanted to be sitting at the top table. So instead of going to Nashville, which was the obvious place to go and live, he built himself a Hogan on a reservation, an Indian reservation in Windorock in Arizona. I went and visited before the Hogan was built. He was living in a kind of a, a trailer type thing. So one night I actually had the pleasure of being with him in Windorock in this trailer. And he was doing a concert. And so we turned up late for the concert because we'd driven four hours and back to Monument Valley to see where all those great films had done. And we came into this uh, auditorium for the gig and we sat down beside Rich. And on the stage was the Navajo High School Choir. It was their school concert. Now I have to say to you, I've heard many bad Presbyterian choirs in my time. But this was the worst choir I had ever heard in all of my life. They were shocking. And Rich had moved to Winderock Quay to teach these guys music. So I leaned across to him and I said, Rich, it's not that good. And he leaned across to me and he says, it really isn't. And then he said, and I'm getting up to sing Awesome God with them unrehearsed in about 10 minutes time. And I went, no, sit at the top table, fella. You've got CDs out the back to sell. You have a reputation to think about. You do not want to get up with this choir. No matter how welcoming this crowd is tonight, you do not want to get up in front or be with this choir. And up he got, unrehearsed. And he sang with those Navajo kids. And you know what was happening on that stage? On that stage, he took those who should have been back sitting there and he put them on a stage beside himself. And he who should have been on a better stage than they were on came back down and stood in their stage. And he was not interested in the slightest how I thought it sounded or how anybody in the auditorium thought it sounded. All Rich wanted to do was for five minutes give those kids the thrill of their lives that they could say they sang with Rich Mullins who'd sold hundreds of thousands of CDs. And in that instant, in that moment, the Holy Spirit right between my eyes zapped me and said, Steve, this is it. This is what Jesus was on about. This is the humility. This is the last becoming first because the first became last. This is the example of Jesus. This is the call of the gospel. This seems very ordinary stuff where you sit and who you invite to a party. But it's the theology at the heart of the 66 books. He who was in control of the universe and who reigned on high and was first of all first became last and cursed on a tree so that we, so that we, who'd broken the relationship with him could become heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. And then he says, follow me. And make sure that that's the experience of your everyday life in the people that you invite to your parties and where you think you should be sitting anywhere you go. Let's pray. Lord, we're always aware of those 
leanings within us that without us even having to intentionally try we can make ourselves feel better than somebody else put ourselves on a pedestal above somebody else put somebody else down in our conversations or our thinking or our judgments it seems to be just part of what the fall did for our twisted humanity and so this morning Jesus interrupts with this alternative and it's a challenge Lord but we pray that it will remain a challenge until we apply it and we pray for, pray for Fitzroy we pray this would be a place where snobbery does not become the curse of our fellowship of our mission but our humility becomes the strength of our fellowship and our mission and that whoever we meet and bump into as individuals as a fellowship as mission teams that they would feel and sense that we love them with the grace of God the way we might love somebody who's easier to love or more like us Lord smash the caste system's in our minds and our hearts and our souls smash the caste systems in our denomination smash the caste systems in our own fellowship here that we might go to smash those caste systems in the city of Belfast where you call us to serve we ask it in Jesus name Amen